Welcome back to Russell Street Replay, a podcast that recaps every Baltimore Ravens game by handing out awards and superlatives to various players and plays from each week. I'm your host, Nick Hilmeta. So this week, I'm joined by Ronald Tooth to break down that travesty of a game against the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the second travesty we've put up against the Bengals this season. This The first one was in week six. This one was in uh, week, what week is this now? 16. I'm starting to lose track with the extra week in this season, you know, it was a tough game. And I think one thing that this game reminds you is how many players are on the sidelines and not just COVID, uh, but also on injured reserve. Uh, and it makes you think about next season. The Ravens have 10 draft picks in the 2022 draft and the odds of that pick being a mid first round rather than a late first round uh, are increasing by the day. Rod, tell me, how excited are you for 2022? This is also our last pod of, of the 2021 uh, calendar year. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I don't think words can properly describe how excited I am for 2022. I'm not sure if I'm more excited to put 2021 in the past or just go forward to 2022. But either way, yeah, when you look at everything that the Ravens have had to fight through this year in terms of the injuries and recently with the COVID stuff, it just... It feels truly, and I know we've probably said this a million times, but it just feels like it's been a snake bitten season from start to finish. And uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited for it to finish. <laughs> yeah, there is a, there's an extent where I'm, I, I'm excited to see what the team does for the rest of the way, but my hopes are kind of in the gutter at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of watching for specific players now. I'm looking for some of the young guys. I was trying to watch a lot of Jalen Ferguson snaps uh, when, when, he, when, when he was playing. Uh, last week because both Houston and, and Pernambuc fear out. I just think it'll be interesting to see what this roster makeup looks like Ferguson. I'm not sure he necessarily did enough to justify his inclusion on the roster next season. Cause he's gotten some opportunities this year, but he just hasn't quite delivered. And so I think he's, he's an interesting question mark. So it's kind of interesting thinking about the wide receiver situation as well. We get to see guys like Proshi and Tylen Wallace have a really, really lot of usage in this game. And they, for the most part, delivered, I felt like. And so it makes you excited about the future of this team and the roster that Eric DaCosta has built. Uh, just the fact that no one thought this game wouldn't be at least somewhat competitive. And, and it, 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 was, it was competitive, really, until the fourth quarter when the Ravens' offense just couldn't quite stay out, couldn't keep the Bengals' offense off the field. But it's, it, it is remarkable, and again, a testament to the front office and the coaching that we're still here and, and, and we're not actually limited from the playoffs yet either. So, you know, part of me thinks, ah, the, getting to the playoffs wouldn't be that great for us because we'd probably get knocked out in the first round anyway. And part of me thinks, screw it. This Ravens team can, can, you know, clearly do a lot more than anyone ever expects them to. So, you know, I, I certainly won't be upset if they make the playoffs, especially if they get a chance to spoil someone else's season. Uh, you know, my, my other question is, in a game like this with so many players out, how, how can you how can you properly evaluate the team when they're down so many players? You know, what what kind of takeaways can you actually get that aren't kind of that don't that don't come with the asterisk of all of these guys are missing? Well, in this game in particular, I'd say not much just because there's so many guys right now who aren't even going to be in the NFL next year, let alone on the team who are in starting positions. If you had asked me, you know, before the entire team got ravaged by COVID and Chris Westry was still out there and guys like that, I think you'd be able to take a little more from it in terms of what those guys are going to be for you 
next season and things like that. But with so many guys, I mean, Josh Johnson's not going to be on the team next year. Uh, Robert Jackson's not going to be on the team next year. You know, you can go down the list of all the guys who we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's tough to really evaluate anything except for heart, I guess, you know, they've shown a lot of it and they certainly haven't just rolled over and died. So that's a great thing to see. Uh, but just going back to what we were saying before in terms of like the playoffs and I was having this conversation today with somebody and I think that really all comes down to Lamar. I mean, no disrespect to Tyler Huntley. He's done a really good job, but if it's a matter of uh, the Ravens getting into the playoffs and, you know, say they have to go to Buffalo and it's this beat up secondary and it's Huntley. I mean, they're one game out of, a top 10 pick right now in the draft. I don't know. It'd be tough to say that I'd rather see them go in the playoffs and get embarrassed by Buffalo just to say that we got there as opposed to, you know, if they did drop the next two and they end up with, you know, 11th overall, 12th overall. So it's an interesting conversation for sure. I'm definitely not going to sit here and say, I hope they lose just outright by any means, but I think overall, I don't know. It's, it, it's tough. It, it's a weird thing. Like I said, just because you don't want to sit here and say, Oh, I hope they lose because if Lamar's in the game, you know, they have at least a puncher's chance. So I guess really the whole thing in terms of the draft pick or getting to the playoffs comes down to who's going to be under center if they get there. Yeah. And, and even, even I think the, the ASC has proven that there is no team that is invincible this year. There's no team that's not without flaws. Part of me thinks, you know, with, especially with all the COVID cases we're seeing, if, if you can get to the playoffs with Lamar and, and with Lamar being the huge key there, like you said, that we could make some noise. I mean, this team is talented enough. It's well-coached enough to knock off, you know, maybe a, 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 an overrated opponent, man, the Colts or something Tennessee. like that, who we already beat this Tennessee, you know, I'm not even sure the Patriots are as impenetrable as we thought, I think it'll be tough with the limitations we have, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a team in the AFC that's straight up unbeatable. I think maybe Chiefs and Bills might be a little bit just out of our range because they just have yeah. too many weapons for us to cover. But we've seen this season, right, any given Sunday. I mean, the freaking Lions beat the Cardinals last week, and I still can't <laughs> believe that happened. So it could be could be any given Sunday. But, you know, uh, on the other end, I, uh, it's the kind of season where normally I'd be devastated if they lost their last two games, and I certainly wouldn't like it. But, again, it doesn't have the same crushing impact because we've basically been steamrolled four or five times already this season. And so, you know, having the ball drop, the New Year's Eve ball drop directly on my face by them losing the last two games, <laughs> you can't really hurt me anymore, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's that's pretty much where I'm at. And I think where a, a fair amount of fans are at, it's a perfectly understandable place to be. I don't think anyone has – I've seen, obviously, the takes about, oh, quarterback controversy – Josh Johnson did so well. So it's a system. All of that is, you know, obviously incorrect <laughs> to me. That's, that's, that's going a little bit crazy, especially considering Lamar Jackson is, let me check my notes here, 24 younger than Joe Burrow and has already won an MVP. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. So mo moving on to our, our weekly categories, Raven of the game. I have a feeling we're going to have a, a familiar face for this one, but let me go through my nominees <laughs> first. James Proshi. Man's got hands. We've been, we've known this in Baltimore for a while. It's been hard for him to move up on the depth chart, which I get, but he had his opportunity against Denver and he had another opportunity this week. And both of those times he's come through huge. Uh, I think he is a piece of this team in the future. I, I'm not sure that 
I'm not, it's hard to say exactly what his ceiling is, but his floor is reliable slot wide receiver and probably backup slot wide receiver on our current roster right now, given who we have, but he's a valuable rotational receiver. Uh, Josh Johnson, of course, gets a nomination coming in, gets a nice Christmas present of you get to start against the Bengals tomorrow. Uh, comes in and, and did his job. I don't think you can. I don't think you can really say Josh Johnson didn't do his job. The pick wasn't great. He almost threw another one, but you know Lamar's thrown four picks and he's still one game. So who really cares? Yeah. Tony Jefferson, he comes home and he lays the boom on the Bengals. He and Patrick Queen were all over the field. Queen is another nominee. And to me, it wasn't just that they were making a lot of tackles, but they were like they were making those tackles with violence that I haven't necessarily seen from Queen a whole lot. I've seen him make a lot of good tackles and make a lot of stops, but he made every play with just a lot of suddenness and a lot of intensity. And I think we'll talk about Isaiah Mack a little bit more later, but I did want to shout him out as just, you know, a a guy who comes up off the practice squad and basically not, not quite exactly, but basically subs in for Calais Campbell for most of the game. When Campbell tried to go early on his injured thigh, quickly realized he couldn't. Yes. Brandon Williams and Broderick Washington, led the effort, but with Justin Matabuke still on the COVID list, we need another interior lineman. And while I'll bring up my guy, Khalil McKenzie, a little bit later as well, it was really Isaiah Mack who took over those snaps and played really well. He even sacked Burrow on, on one of those play, on one of the Ravens, three sacks, excuse me, of Burrow on the day. So wanted to shout out him. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about him later. Mm. Yeah, no, it's funny. I called Isaiah Mack, Dalen Mack for like the first entire half of the game. So that just, that just goes to show how much playing time he's had, but it was really great to see. Yeah. To your point uh, with queen, I'm, I'm so glad that he was able to reverse that beginning of the season narrative. Cause like you said, a lot of his issues, not all of them, a lot of it was mostly in pass coverage early in the season, but another big thing we were talking about was how he wasn't like sticking his nose in there and he wasn't wrapping up and tackling. And over the second half of the season, we've seen that pretty much flip completely. He's in on every play. He's flying around. He's making big hits. So, you know, maybe I don't know if it was just a slump in the beginning of the year or whatever, but that's been really promising to see. Josh Biden's Josh Biden's future NFL linebackers coach. That's what it was. It could honestly, honestly, it really could be. Who knows? Uh, It wouldn't shock me at all. Um, Say Jefferson, to your point. Great to see him back. But realistically, there, there's nobody else we should probably give this award to other than Mark Andrews, right? Yeah. Mark yeah. Andrews is running away with potentially renaming this category uh, yeah. after him because he's, I mean, I think the last couple games he's gotten it, he's been incredible all season. And it's honestly not getting talked about enough outside of Baltimore, I feel like, mm-hmm. because we have a couple other incredible positional seasons going on. I feel like in this conversation, at this year-end conversation about who had the best season, I feel like there's obviously a lot of talk about the quarterbacks and there's a couple other offensive skill players that get mentioned. And I feel like there's a lot of talk about cup and Jonathan Taylor deservedly. So for sure, but Andrew's playing with three different QBs and continuing to do this damage when he still gets frequently double covered is just kind of nuts. Like it, it is, it, it is crazy considering everything that's gone on with the Ravens this season that Mark Andrews has been like, I am just going to put this team on my back when necessary and, and try and win us games. He, and, and I tune in his press conferences like must-see TV. No one, in a weird way, no one makes me feel, I don't know if better is the right word, or at least is, makes me feel right after a loss like Mark Andrews does. He tells it like it is. 
He's really frank and honest, and you can tell that he he gives everything for this team. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's very relatable in that regard. It doesn't feel like he's just giving you the you know the same old player speak. You know, oh, we got to do better. We got you know. It feels like he's actually talking to them human to human, and it definitely adds of kind of like comfort or relatability but really he, he's been the only constant throughout the entire year on the whole team there hasn't there isn't one position or that that has seen the same person every single week and just that consistent production outside of the tight end and not only is it production it is massive production it is best tight end in the nfl production so i mean it, it'll be a shocker if he's not the all pro selection for tight end this year uh, he'll definitely be the team MVP and you know, the sky's the limit for him going forward. Yeah. I have a sneaky feeling. He's probably going to win uh, Raven of the year for our year end awards. Uh, mm-hmm. Russell street replay episode later uh, in 2022. I have a sneaky feeling. Andrew is probably going to run away with that one. Uh, Gets my but, vote. <laughs> and, uh, and it's so deserved. I mean, uh, you know, I've said this a couple of times this season, but he signed that extension, huge money extension, one of the highest, if not the highest paid tight end in the league. And it's a bargain because he's doing this and he's going to keep that. He's going to keep getting better and he's going to continue to be a focal point of this team. And at, you know, you don't, you don't pay that money just for the performance, you know, or you pay it for the consistency. And, and the thing is he's doing this every game. Uh, he, he gets, he, I'm actually curious now. I'm going to look it up. He gets double digit catches all the time. He, he's always getting double digit targets almost, but Let's see, three of the last four games, he's gotten double-digit targets, and two of the last three, he's gotten double-digit catches. He's got 10, 11, 11, 9, 8. He's just had such a stellar season. And something I'm sure will come up later is just he's also just – you can see it in the way he's playing in terms of that determination to just keep picking up yards and refusing to go down. I mean, that's that's Ravens football right there, and that's almost like a – almost feels in a way like a bit of the Ravens defensive attitude over the years, but he's translated it into offense. Yeah. Big time. I was going to say, now look up how many of those catches were first downs with two guys on his back. Right. It's, it's just awesome to see, man. It really is. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's playing these sky high snap counts. I think he's had, he had one game all year below 60% of the Ravens snaps and maybe like three games all year below 70. It's crazy for, for everything he's done. It's crazy. So Raven of the game, once again, Mark Andrews. Moving on to unit of the game, uh, I had the interior D-line because the run defense was, again, pretty solid. Mixon had a couple where he burst through the line, um, and the tackling was not the best it could have been. But I felt like the interior D-line did a pretty good job, especially in getting pressure on Burrow from the interior. I feel like that's something that I was worried about without Matabuke. But Roger Washington and Isaiah Mack had seven pressures between them. I mean, they were really getting up on Burrow which is great to see from young defensive linemen on this team. Uh, the linebackers, the whole unit, I felt like played really well. Bynes and Queen were, sn- were sniffing out the run every play. You know, the, the edge pass rush wasn't as nice as you'd want it. Uh, no Justin Houston definitely contributes to that. And the other group I want to mention is the wide receivers because they just continue to ball. You know, Eric DeCosta has built up a fantastic wide receiver room, and we're actually starting to see glimpses of more of what Wallace and, like I mentioned, Proshi can do. Yep. Uh, my choice was uh, I'm going with the wide receivers. Uh, I mean, even Marquise had a quiet five catches yesterday, but he was at least a little bit productive. Seven grabs for Prochet over 75 yards. Bateman finally got himself his first score. 
I mean, even we saw a nice grab here, uh, like you mentioned, from uh, Tylen Wallace. They all played really well yesterday on a day where not too many position groups played very well as a whole. Yeah, and, and you know, none of them even have played with, with Johnson. I mean, he's been on the team for two weeks. And, in fact, of the one, two, three, four, five Ravens tight ends and receivers who caught a ball, none of them were even in the NFL when Josh Johnson was on the Ravens in uh, 2016. <laughs> so like, you know, this is a, uh, that quarterback, quarterback receiver chemistry, it's, it's a big thing. And, and they nailed it out of the gate. He was, he was zipping up and down the field that first drive. So definitely, I think the wide receivers earned this one for, for coming in and, and, you know, doing a really good job to set up a, set up a quarterback to succeed. That's kind of what it's all about when you have your second and third string quarterbacks and it's finding ways to set them up to succeed. And that comes from other players. We talked about it with Andrews, being that guy for Huntley all season and uh, you know, the receivers Proshi Bateman were really, really stellar for, for Josh Johnson yesterday uh, and moving on to player of the game. You know, these are uh, the, the defensive, like, yeah, the defensive game was tough. And there also just weren't a lot of like big highlight plays. There was a, uh, you know, Isaiah Max sack, Broderick Washington sack. They were, they're were pretty nice, but nothing, nothing I felt like crazy. Uh, you know, mostly I just had some of the offensive plays. Uh, Proshi and Wallace had long third down conversions on back-to-back drives uh, that I thought both of which were good catches. They fought to get the first down. And later on that drive was a third and 10 to Andrews, which was one of the several on the day where he, like you said, got a first down, you know, 20 yards after the catch with two guys hanging on his back. So, you know, just converting third and longs, it all game was actually a huge weird strong point for the Ravens in a way that it hasn't been most of the season. Uh, Andrews touchdown. That was a pretty throw from Josh Johnson. I mean, that was an, honestly, I, I jumped out of my chair a little bit when he threw that ball because that's just like, that is a starting QB kind of ball. It's, that is a really tough pot spot to put it in. You can't overthrow because then you're setting up Andrews to get walloped, uh, but you can't overthrow because it's going to get picked. You have to drop it at just the right angle. And he did that. Um, and, you know, Queen and Jefferson had a couple nice tackles for losses as well, but again, defensive side of the ball, it's hard to look at those as play of the game because it was kind of the one counter punch before a barrage of haymakers from the bench. Yeah. Basically. It was all moot in the end. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. To your, I won't be adding any of the defensive plays. Well, there was some good ones. Uh, Patrick Queens pass breakup in the end zone, even though it may or may not have been mm. pass interference. That was a pretty good play, but overall uh, it's tough to give anybody roses on a day where you give up what the fourth, most amount of passing yards in a game of all time and the most in franchise history we're setting records out here yeah yeah what was the other one too but what was it the quarterbacks who have thrown over 403 against the ravens or something like that it's yeah the list something of the like greats. That. it's like brady manning all this and then joe burrow twice this year it's like oh one of these things is not like the other but right hey who knows right. maybe he will be by the time it's all said and done i don't want to be wink and uh give him any more bulletin board material yeah, I, I don't I, – that was going to – I was going to get to that in head scratchers, but I, I'll mention it now. I just don't get commenting like that about Joe Burrow because I honestly think so Joe dumb. Burrow's – like, and he's incredible. He's obviously incredible. Yes, he diced up a practice squad defense, and yes, our defense was already injured when we played earlier this season, but he diced this up earlier in the season too, and he's, he's clearly got it. Like, he's clearly not Baker. Yeah. is the thing Baker no, no. you Baker we still don't know if he's any good I really I don't think he is but he shows flashes 
Mm-hmm. Burrow's consistent. And, and I mean, Burrow's a guy I would love to have if we didn't have Lamar. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing him a lot. I hope it's a fun rivalry. I hope it's not too intense and like bitter, like fighting of a rivalry. Uh, but I do want a, it'll be a fun rivalry with the Bengals, I think, for the next few years. <laughs> so, yeah, just going back to the uh, the play of the game, my choice was probably Bateman's touchdown. Not so much because it was anything flashy. Like you said, there's we didn't really get much of that in any regard on Sunday. But just the fact that he finally got his first score, it was a great ball by Josh Johnson. All day he was zipping it in there right from the first drive in the first half especially. He threw a lot of really good balls. But just because he's been so close and he's been so deserving up to this point, to see him finally get his first score, especially early in the game when it still actually was a game. It wasn't just, you know, a garbage time thing at the end. It was really nice to see. Yeah, I think I tweeted something like this team is going to captivate me with uh, pure guts and something or something like that when he scored that touchdown. And I mean, I was captivated by the team really for until the fourth quarter when the offense just was done, when the offense was just, they just didn't have much left in, in the playbook that the Bengals weren't ready for, which makes sense because we didn't know who our starting quarterback was the day before the game. Yeah. And, but that touchdown was like, all right, let's, uh, it's it's not a it's not a non-zero chance that we or it's not a zero percent chance that we win this game it was yeah. where I was at at that point and, and that's huge coming into this game because coming in you're like yeah it's a one percent and the Bengals scored a field goal on their opening drive and I was like okay this is a half percent doesn't go all the way down because they only got a field goal and then it went up to like five percent in my head once we scored a touchdown I don't think it ever broke five percent again no um, I moving think the on, moment not to no not to cut you off I was just going to say the moment I think that it really started to feel like crap was the uh was it the fourth and goal where they just rushed it in the Bengals mm-hmm. when it was seven to three and then mm-hmm. they rush it in they made it ten to three it was like oh just such a gut punch if they had stopped them there you know who knows what would have happened but from that, was that point the on, same drive much- as the Higgins third and 16 or was that the drive before um, that because I think I the Higgins third say- and 16 was the one that crushed me personally Mm, yeah, I, I just it's funny because I feel like there was like multiple third and 10 pluses that T Higgins converted yesterday. So it's tough for me to figure out which one exactly we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm looking. It wasn't. I think that was in there. Yeah, I think that was a little later in the game. Maybe yeah, that was the in there. Half. I believe there. Yeah, it was. Yeah. In the, uh, oh, yeah. It was the end of the first half. Right. And it was the drive that they ended up going down before right, the two minute. Because I remember thinking, oh, you know, it's 14-24 right now. Even if we get the ball back and get Tucker out there for a field goal, that's yep. se- that's a seven-point game. Yeah, and, and you're of course, my my stupid idiot brain was thinking that we could possibly stop the Bengals with a bunch of practice squad players. Which brings me to my next category, the back to practice award. I'm not even going to say the defensive <laughs> backs here. Like, what, what are you supposed to tell them? This exactly. is this is incredibly tough. It's their second really tough assignment week in a row. They didn't even get Smith or Westry back for the game. I, I can't beat up on him here. You, you just, you know, you can't. It's, it's mean because what, what, what more can you expect out of them than giving it their all? And I will say it didn't feel like they gave up or anything like that. You know, it just felt like they got beat. And, you know, this is a really talented Bengals offense, a very talented Bengals receiving core. I think one that was very underrated coming into the year. Uh, you know, I remember snagging Chase Higgins, Boyd late in fantasy leagues is just one example of why they were kind of slept on. And it is, it's, it's, it's so impossible for me to go up to 
Robert Jackson. You know, sometimes when I'm thinking about criticism of players, I'm thinking, could I say this to a player's face? I'm not sure I could go up to Robert Jackson and tell him, go do this better. Because honestly, he did his best. They all did. I don't doubt that. And, you know, can we step it up and, I don't know, making sure we're vaccinated or something or not, not getting COVID, not going out on New Year's Eve to make sure we can play the rest of the season? That's the only thing I can think of for the whole team to step it up, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, like I said, most of these guys aren't even going to be on the team maybe even next week, depending on, you know, who we get back on the COVID list or whatever. Right. So you can't tell them to, you know, you can't give them a back to practice award when they may not even be a practice. If just being Frank, uh, another good point. Yeah. But uh, it, who did you have? So who was your choice for this award? Cause I'm, I'm kind of struggling. Yeah. So I, I honestly didn't really have anyone uh, unless, just unless I'm running back maybe. The, the running backs, yeah, but I felt like Roman's play calling, which I'm sure we'll get to in head scratchers, was kind of limiting the run game. This was actually one of my least favorite run games that he's called. Um, I, I just think that the blocking was pretty good and not great, and I don't really want to say go back to practice unless I single out, you know, Alejandro Villanueva needs to stop getting beat around the edge mm-hmm. at least twice a game consistently. You know, he sh- stuff like that, you know, I felt like Ben Cleveland – was inconsistent. I felt like he wasn't looking for work as much as he could be in the passing game, but these are all like pretty specific areas of improvement. Uh, not just one general position group that needs to improve. And a lot of this improvement is going to just be off season work. Anyway, I don't see a lot from this team that I can point to and say, we need to do X, Y, and Z better the rest of the season to vastly improve. Uh, I think the pass rush getting home is they, they, they got home a fair amount, Really, and and more often than I expected them to. I know the Bengals don't have the best O-line, but I was expecting Burrow to be able to get the ball out quickly whenever he was pressured. And, you know, he wasn't able to do that, and we were able to get some pressure on Burrow. So I can't necessarily call that either, you know? Yeah. There were a couple missed sacks that really kind of got under my skin yesterday, I will say. Yeah, couple, yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, and I think that's – just I, Just right in the pause, and you just let him go. It was like, ah, oh, God. Yeah. And, and I know like when you're watching, when I'm, when you're watching, you're like, Oh my God, he had him. How do you let him go? You know, I get like in the heat of the battle and you're, you know, you're hurtling through a 300 pound man and you're looking for a different man to tackle. <laughs> it's, it's tough, but there are also times where I just think like, man, maybe the Ravens could just catch a little bit of an in-game break. You know, maybe Burrow yeah. just actually trips enough to fall yeah, exactly. instead of being able to bounce off. It's little things like those where I was like, you know, none of that is none of that is going to happen. It's just not going to happen this year. You know, expect everything that can go wrong to go wrong. Right. Uh, so I, all I'm all I'm hoping is that every ounce of like, I don't even know what this is. Is it if it's karma, if it's like somebody pissed in the, the football gods cornflakes? I don't know. But whatever bad juju is surrounding the Ravens this year, it should be enough for like the next five years. We better not have a single guy injured till 2030 after this year. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, I really hope that there is some semblance of this karma. Although I do have to caution our listeners. Don't expect a fully healthy season next year. Don't come in thinking we're not going to no. have players on the IR just because we did this year. Cause it obviously resets, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's really unlikely that it's worse and we should benefit from some positive regression to the mean in terms of injuries. Uh, but I also would caution to not get too hopeful and lose your head if we do have a preseason injury or an offseason injury because those those happen and you know I'm I'm not I'm not sure we have the the, the best luck here in Baltimore uh, when it comes to football 
despite what some people think we're, we're really lucky, which still baffles me. No. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on to newcomer of the week. I had uh, four nominees here. It's weird to call Rashad Bateman a newcomer. I think we've talked about this before because his approach is so professional. He just, he just looks like a pro when he runs routes. And, you know, I don't mean this as a slight against Jamar Chase. Jamar, if you're listening, you're an exceptionally talented receiver. And I'm only mentioning this as one part of your game that as I, was, I noticed as I was watching the game. When Jamar Chase runs after the catch, I feel like he is looking for the home run. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's looking to pick up the, the end zone. He wants to juke out and break as many tackles as he can to get to the end zone. And he has done that this season. Bateman, I feel like, is a little bit like almost looks like a vet sometimes when he's making his after the catch decisions in terms of let me maximize the expected yards that I can get. Let me maximize the yards that I'm 100% certain I can get. And we'll see from there. And that's one of the things I noticed about Bateman. Obviously, his route running, his hands, I could write pages upon pages about how much I love his route running and, and his ability to bring in balls. Um, but, you know, I, I also want to talk about Josh Johnson. I don't know if he counts as a newcomer, but I'm going to make an exception for him and Tony Jefferson uh, this week because, quite frankly, they counted as newcomers this week and we needed them and they stepped up. And, of course, Isaiah Mack, who I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the pieces of this defensive line that I think, you know, having Mac on the roster this season, one of the weird side benefits of Williams and Wolf and Campbell all missing time is I think we've gotten to see that Broderick Washington is a viable option for the future. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, Matabuke is. I think Khalil McKenzie, it's valuable to have a guy who can cross train as a guard and who can be listed as a guard and a tackle for, for roster reasons. Uh, you need an eighth offensive lineman active in order to have your two practice squad elevations. And so mm -hmm. if McKenzie is classified as a guard, he can also rotate in on tackle when needed and you get your practice squad elevations. Um, and Isaiah Mack also, I think, could be a piece of this defensive line. I know we're going to be looking in the draft and maybe free agency, but I'm also not shocked that we found a couple guys who I think with some coaching could get a lot better. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I, I also think that free agency will be a big part of it. As much as these guys have shown flashes, you know, I'm kind of sick of the, you know, outside of Brandon Williams and Calais, it's pretty much just a rotating cast of guys who have shown flashes. You know what I mean? If we can yep. bring in another like rotational piece, like how we did with Houston this year, but only on the inside to help. Cause I mean, at this point, it's looking pretty likely that, Williams and Campbell aren't going to be on the team next year. I would imagine Campbell's likely going to retire. I would imagine. Yeah. And who knows, who knows what, what's going to happen with Brandon Williams. So there's going to be a lot of work done on that interior de uh, defensive line and the rest of the team. I'm sure we'll talk about that as we get closer to the end of the season and all the, you know, the upcoming free agents, stuff like that. But uh, just circling back to the award. Yeah. I'm going double J Josh Johnson. He had a, he had a poise to him. Right from the first drive, he looked really calm, really confident. He was zipping the ball in there. I'm going to be honest with you. I think the ball looks better, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> coming out of his hand than Huntley and even at times Lamar. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's a better thrower. I'm just saying the way it comes out of his hand and the zip on it, it looks really good, especially for a 35-year-old quarterback who hasn't, like, had substantial time in the NFL. I mean, I was – way more than pleasantly surprised with what we saw from him yesterday. And so was my fantasy team because he got me 20 points. So that's always good. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the Ravens should trade Tyler Huntley, start Josh Johnson next year and have Lamar Jackson sit behind him to learn a little more. Is maybe this what maybe, I'm maybe he'll switch saying? to running back. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, get him in the wildcat. I'm sure that'll go yeah. really well. Uh, oh, so, yeah, go I, I got to agree with you. Josh Johnson, I mean, technically, technically not a newcomer, but we're going to adjust the rules because it was a really crazy week. And both Johnson and Jefferson deserve shout outs here. I agree with what you're saying about Johnson, like the ball coming out of his hand, the zip. And I don't know, maybe it's just like my bias in terms of my view of him in his NFL career. It was just like that. He wasn't necessarily that notable, but he's got it. I mean, he, he's a much, certainly a much better backup than I think a lot of teams have, which is probably why uh, Robert Sala looks so disappointed to be losing him uh, when yeah. we originally signed him from the jets. But yeah, and, and the other thing about Johnson is just stepping in, you know, been here for two weeks, stepping in and just approaching it really professionally, doing your job. And, you know, never was a moment where I felt like he, he was just, you know, uh, writing it in or not writing it in, phoning it in, in, in the yeah. fourth quarter. I mean, they were intent on getting those points and trying to stay in the game because, you know, that game feels like it ended. It was more than four possessions apart, honestly, or it was more than three possessions apart. feels like it was four or five. But, you know, the Ravens offense, you know, tried to stay in that game as much as they could. And a lot of that is due to the poise of Josh Johnson in terms of, hey, I've got my next opportunity here. Let me go. Let me go hit it hard. Yeah. I mean, he can only do so much when there's tissue paper in the, in the secondary. You know what I mean? And that's not to be a <laughs> hater. I know that's probably a little mean, but it's true. You know, you can only do so much when the other side of the ball is literally giving up a record day at, at a, you know, and the other offense is moving the ball at literal will. Yeah. I'm convinced yesterday that at any play, they could have got exactly as many yards as they wanted to. Yeah, it's it's honestly, you know, the the the, the tough part about defense is that any one weak link can collapse every collapse every single play. Whereas yeah. on offense, you can have a weak link and just not go to that receiver or not go to that tight end mm-hmm. or, you know, get some tight end help to that left tackle or whatever it is. It's, it's a, just so much tougher on defense and especially at corner. You know, this has sparked another discussion about, you know, early in the season, everyone was like, why are the Ravens stockpiling on these corners? You know, and, you know, some people are saying they should have traded Sean Wade. Obviously, Sean Wade, I'm not sure if he's played a snap yet this season on defense for the Patriots. So it's not like he would have been that helpful here. He might have been better than Robert Jackson. But again, we weren't going to be able to hold on to him on the practice squad anyway. But this shows why the Ravens are always bringing in extra guys at quarterback and making sure that that is the deepest position they have. And It'll be that way again next year. I'm just hoping that this injury bug doesn't strike again, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it would be – it's got to be, you know, one in a million possibility for the injuries to be as bad as they were this year. So Yeah, for sure. Um, moving on to my high miracle ridiculous Ravens at the moment of the week. This was a pretty ridiculous game. I felt like we had a lot of fun, ridiculous things going on. The Boyd touchdown was – uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened on that. I know it was single high safety. I think whoever the safety was just bit too hard on Jamar Chase's go route and, and kind of isolated himself on that side of the field. And leaving Patrick Queen one-on-one against Tyler Boyd is very rarely going to lead to good things for the Ravens defense. Uh, Broderick Washington bouncing off Joe Burrow, like we mentioned earlier, like what Ugh. the heck was that? Joe Burrow is like not a huge dude. He's tall, but he's not like a particularly beefy guy. And you hear you have 300 plus pound defensive lineman Broderick Washington barreling into him. And I think, I think Burrow may have tripped and then he walked away and threw the ball downfield. Um, But to me, I think the ridiculous moment of the week, I think the thing that most embodies this team this season, the thing that most embodies this team in 2021 was that opening drive, the way that they came out, the defense just held on for dear life to force a field goal 
And the offense came out and said, okay, let's go take a lead in this game that no one is expecting us to win. And it's very indicative of the way this team has weathered the injury crisis, way, the way the coaching staff has done the same, and the way that the offense in particular and, and, and the, the backup and the surrounding pieces on offense, whether it's Bateman, Andrews, Proshi, Brown, um, are, are just – they've been carrying this team. I think it's something that we haven't appreciated as much because of how crazy the year has been and how appreciative we've been of guys on the defensive side who have kept kind of kept the fire going. But on offense, again, this this unit of the week receivers, they've been the unit of the week several times. And I think part of that is just because they step up every time. And so for that, for me, that was the most ridiculous moment of the week was the moment when I thought we had a shot in that game. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a million different ridiculous moments in that game. Probably every single touchdown felt more and more ridiculous, just in the sense of not the play itself is ridiculous. Just the sheer fact of like, damn, this is ridiculous. Like sitting there on our couches, what more could you possibly say? But yeah, man, they, they've showed a lot of heart. It, it's been really promising to see. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. From here, I guess it's just about, uh, you know, appreciating what's left, enjoying the weeks we have left. Maybe they do get into the playoffs. Who knows? But Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to head scratcher of the week. So the refs, I didn't feel like were as, as troubling this game as they were some other games. You know, you mentioned that queen play where it looked like that he wasn't playing the ball. And so he probably could have gotten a call for PI. Uh, you know, there was the other PI called on. I can't remember who it was called on, but it was they were defending Jamar Chase. And it looked like they got a piece of his face mask a little bit. And that's why they called it. You know, there were a lot of ticky tack calls. And I think that coming into a game with so many practice squad players against these guys who have been doing really well all season, you know, the refs are kind of, uh, I think the refs are just were a little bit biased. I think it was kind of the same thing against the Packers where they're not expecting the Ravens to be able to cover Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And as a result, they called penalties uh, when the Ravens did a better job covering it. The one that gets to me the most was the one on Daryl Worley in the end zone. That was an interception to me. That's just not pass interference. Even the broadcast guys who were very, very busy uh, doing some things to support Joe Burrow on the broadcast. <laughs> That's um, putting it lightly. I'm surprised, I'm surprised they were able to talk. Right. You know? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, God, that was good. <laughs> That was really good. All right. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> Coming in hot. And so even the commentators were like, come on, where is, why, how is this pass interference? Because, you know, he actually makes a little bit of contact coming off the line. But other than that, he just undercuts what was actually probably Burrow's worst throw of the day, to be honest. It was just kind of underthrown. And I also don't know why the receiver was jumping to a ball that was that low, but whatever. Um, that was the only ever referee decision that I was really, you know, up in arms about. There was nothing that the coaches did that I was really upset about other than calling the read options with Josh Johnson, who clearly does just not have that mm-hmm. in his arsenal, the way the Ravens like to run it. Now he had a really nice two point conversion with the jets earlier this season where he juked out a guy looked like Lamar a little bit and got in the end zone. And that was great. But the way the Ravens call read options are designed for quarterbacks who can run sub four or five 40 yard dashes and a 35 th- year old Josh Johnson I don't think is doing that anymore. He's obviously still got agility and he's got some, some movement ability, some, some speed, but uh, the, the quick acceleration to just fire like a, a, a like a 
like he's coming out of a cannon on those read options, which is what you need the way the Ravens designed them just didn't work. But the head scratcher of the week to me is Zach Taylor keeping Joe Burrow in. Now I don't mind that the Bengals kept throwing and I'm sure based on what I've, what, what you've tweeted about this, you don't either, you know, mm-hmm. the Bengals were playing against a really soft secondary and you could even argue that arguably throwing down the field is a better way to just hit wide open receivers for easy gains, keep them in bounds, keep the clock moving. And in a way you might even limit injuries doing that compared to just running the ball into a giant mass of people. Right. But what doesn't make sense here is leaving Burrow in. And I don't just mean this in hindsight after the Ravens hit him a bunch of times. I was saying this when he came back out on the field, I think with a 20 point lead with, what was it about? I think they had the ball with, uh, like eight minutes, something like eight that. minutes left. Yeah. And yeah. they're in Baltimore territory. Like they're deep in our own territory. They took three minutes off the clock with seven plays and burrow through six of the, all six of the offensive plays. And then they kicked a field goal and he got hit a bunch of times and yeah. he was getting hit on and off all game. Um, but then those last two drives, he got hit a bunch of times and he was, I also think it was silly for him to be scrambling around a couple different times for me as a guy who really actually likes Joe Burrow. I hated seeing that because I didn't want to see us. I didn't want to see us tear his ACL again or, or hurt him in some way, you know, late in a game that was already over. That would suck for me as a fan of football. Right. I I was, I was angry at Zach Taylor for leaving him in, not just because it allowed them to run up the score. They actually didn't end up running up the score because they missed a field goal. And then even though he threw downfield to mix in, they didn't even score on that possession either. They just ran the clock out. So I don't have an issue with what they did. I just have an issue with leaving Burrow in because, you know, I'm a Ravens fan. I, I like playing Burrow. Burrow's going to be a fun guy to play against for the next few years. I, I don't want them to, I don't want the Bengals to waste his talent by letting him get injured in garbage time for something that to me just felt like ego more than anything else. I don't know if it was driven, especially by Taylor or if Burrow really want to stay in, or if the play, if the whole if the whole team was you know in a mood about it, you know I feel like they've been celebrating a little bit more than they have a right to. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Boyd posted a video of like him waving goodbye to the Ravens buses after they left Cincinnati. I don't mm-hmm. know if he realized how many like there are actually only twenty Ravens total on those buses or. <laughs> And a bunch you know, of car salesmen. I, I know there's been a lot of talk back and forth about Ravens fans complaining about the injuries and Bengals fans getting too excited. And it's a little of both. Uh, but for me, the big thing is if I'm Zach Taylor, I'm like, okay, they've got practice squad guys on the field. Let's just, just run our backups out there, run some younger guys out there, even get the, get them a chance to get some game action, you know, and just protect Burrow. It, it upsets me. It was, it was really frustrating to watch him because of course, the, the Ravens defense is going to chase him around and hit him. Of course, Odafeo is going to come and, and, and lay another hit on him on one of those last drives because that's what Odafeo's job still is, even if the mm-hmm. game's out of reach. So why are you putting Burrow in harm's way like that? Biggest head scratcher yeah. for me. I know that was a bit of a rant. Yeah, no, no, you're good. You're, you're spot on, man. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that the reason he stayed in the game was – if not largely in part exclusively because of Wink's comments earlier in the week, you know, I mean, they were coming into this game fully looking to run, run up the scoreboard. I mean, as you do in any NFL game, of course, but that probably also combined a little bit with, you know, last week, kind of not, not a very impressive win against Denver was a 15, 10 final score. They'd lost their two prior games to that. They probably felt like they had to make a statement. 
and they did, you know, take nothing away from them. They absolutely did. But yeah, it was, it was, it was not the type of move you would see John Harbaugh make. We'll say that. He it's took, very much a move. He took you Lamar out when the game was yeah. over against the Chargers. He yeah. even took Lamar out when the game was out of hand against the Bengals. Right. Yeah. Huntley was still throwing that game, I think, and, and mm. trying to move the ball down the field, but we didn't put Lamar in to do it. Um, you know, I wouldn't have minded if the, if I don't know who the Bengals backup is, but if he came out and, you know, did whatever, I wouldn't have minded. I didn't mind that Burrow did it either, except that I was just legitimately worried about Burrow getting hurt. So yeah. definitely the biggest head scratcher this week, unsung hero. Uh, we've talked about all these guys, Isaiah Mack, Tony Jefferson. I don't know. I just can't get over seeing him in a Ravens uniform and mm-hmm. blowing it up again. It, it is, it is really great to see. You know, it sucks. Unfortunately, he was put on the COVID list uh, today, December 27th, which is when we're recording this. But hopefully he'll be back for at least one more game this season. I just don't see him being on this team next season, depending on the status of maybe if Levine retires or something like that. Uh, maybe he, maybe he's on the practice squad. But I also think we're just always looking for more depth and specifically youth in, in our secondary. And so I, I'm not sure Jefferson will be able to hang around. Uh, Proshi, who we talked about, I'm hoping that the team uses him more over the next two games and they see what I see in him, which is a slot receiver who catches almost anything that's thrown his way as long as it's, as long as it's within his catch radius. So he's not the biggest or fastest guy, but he really does strike me as a Wes Welker type. And I know Wes Welker types aren't, aren't as common in the game anymore, mostly because we've moved on to more athletic slot receivers. But I do think there is a place uh, for, for a guy who is as sure-handed as pro she is. And I think Anthony Levine also deserves a little shout out here. You know, CoCap has played mostly special teams all season, uh, but he's had to play defense the last few games. And he had a really nice tackle against the Packers that I think saved a touchdown. He had a he had another pretty decent, nothing crazy. Um, you know, only played twelve snaps, but he was he was making plays. He was part of the gang tackles, and I I, I just I like seeing him and Jefferson out on the field together. It was was maybe like a little heartwarming silver lining to this game. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of had that, uh, that early 2019 sort of vibe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I totally get what you mean about, uh, you know, seeing Tony running around out there. It has been kind of heartwarming to see. It's almost, it almost feels like he's never left, you know, in a way, even though his time here really wasn't all that long to begin with, you know, he was one of those guys that really kind of personified what it was like to play like a Raven. You know what I mean? You know, he's not afraid to stick his nose in there as we saw, numerous times yesterday, even today at his, you know, older advanced age. He's not, you know, super duper old by any means, but at at the safety position, he's no spring chicken. So yeah, he was, he was definitely my sort of unsung hero of the game, but Proche is a great nomination too. And I'm just so curious to see what happens with him going forward, because it seems like the only time he ever gets these kind of opportunities, even though he does well when he gets them is when people are hurt and stuff like that. So going forward, it'll be interesting to see if he's, you know, willing to take that consistent, you know, number four, number five receiver role, or if he'd rather go to a team where maybe they'll utilize him a little more. I don't, yeah, and I, also, and- I don't have, I don't have his contract figures, you know, right in front of me at the moment. I probably should. That's on me for being unprepared, but at some point, whenever he is a free agent, you know, I'd imagine there's going to be other teams that look at games like this and say, Hey, we can use this guy a lot more than they do. Yeah, so he and Duvernay both have two years left in their contract. Hollywood it has 
Uh, also two years, assuming the Ravens pick up his, his fifth year option, which they will. And Bateman is yeah. obviously okay. under contract for four more years after this season. Tylen Wallace is also under contract for four more years after this season. So, you know, I, I, the Ravens, I'm not sure. I'm sure they, they have talent. I think on their practice squad, I like Benjamin Victor and Jalen Moore as potential like sixth wide receivers on an active roster, to be honest, next season. And we may not need to make any additions to the wide receiver room because Bateman's Bateman's ready. Brown's good. Duvernay showing what he can do. And Proshi and Wallace, have, I think, can be those rotational guys that, uh, you know, Boykin maybe was, uh, that, or that maybe we thought Boykin would be more this year. It might be more Proshi and Wallace as the rotational guys. I'm trying to think of who other, our other rotational receivers have been in the past. Sammy. Sammy. I mean, Sammy's kind of moving in a rotational role now that everyone else is playing so well. Yeah, uh, and I believe he only signed into a one-year deal. So who knows if he? Yeah, I'd back be surprised. Next year. I'd be surprised if he's back next year. And that's not. Yeah. I mean, I that's like not an indictment on him. I just no. think that at this point, you say, okay, we have two starting outside receivers. We have a bunch of. We have several guys who can play in the slot. I, I think. I think they also might want to give some of those guys in their practice squad a little bit uh, a shot in the regular season next year because they seemed really excited about Jalen Moore and, and and Victor in in camp this year. And so I think the receiver the receiver roster situation is the receiver roster situation and interior defensive line I think are going to be two really interesting areas where we've learned a lot about some young players this season and that can kind of that information yeah it sucks how we had to come about learning it with everyone out but some of this information is huge for us in terms of contract extensions, which players we're going to resign, draft needs, things like that. You know, I think uh, another point before we get on to our, our next week thing is Anthony Avery is another great example of that because mm-hmm. he was thought to be a starting caliber cornerback at the beginning of the year. Wick Martindale said he has all pro potential. Obviously, that hasn't worked out. He's fallen somewhere He's fallen somewhere, I think, right around starter in the NFL. I don't think he's anything Mm -hmm. more as of right now than a, you know, fairly reliable starter. I mean, he had, you know, I've I've mentioned in Tale of the Tape, and I think maybe even on this podcast, that he is, at times, when he has a tough couple reps in a game, it kind of uh, spirals from there. And that's Mm -hmm. something he's got to work on, I feel like. But, you know, you you have seen what he can do. We've seen what what he did against Tyreek Hill you know, way back in week two, but still can't forget that, you know, he covered Tyreek Hill really well most of that game. And and so that's another tough decision the Ravens have because his contract is up. And so with with all the need and cornerback we've had this season, how can we find a way to – will we find a way to keep Averett without another team poaching him? And did he have a, I guess, disappointing enough season is what you, I guess you could call it, that his price might be low enough for him to keep yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's 15 unrestricted free agents coming up in 2022. So at the very least, you, you know, it's it's pretty likely that at a lot of places, this thing is going to look a lot different. Well, I mean, just injuries, getting guys back alone is going to prove that it's going to look a lot different than it does this year. But in terms of the guys that have been there, that could look very different next year. Uh, yeah. And there's there's always talk about surprise cuts, too, and, mm-hmm. and trades and things like that. And, you know, one of the things I'm excited for next year. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Averett, uh, I think, yeah, just like you said, that's not going to come down as – I mean, the Ravens are going to offer him something. But it's it really comes down to what other teams feel about him right now, especially if this fractured rib that he suffered yesterday keeps him out for the year. The tape that we have right now of Anthony Averett as a whole in 2021, it's good at times, but 
it's not something that's deserving of, you know, number one, even top end number two cornerback money. And it's really going to come down to whether, you know, a team like Philadelphia comes and pulls a Kerry Williams. Remember when they signed him to a lot of money after the Super Bowl? And there's been, you know, countless players like that from Baltimore that we've seen that have gotten overpaid just because they were from the Ravens defense. Now this Ravens defense is much different than the guys that used to get signed, you know, during the Ray and Ed era, but who knows? So it really, it's going to come down to that. And it's also going to come down to, I think maybe the length of the contract, the Ravens offer them, if they're going to offer them a one more year kind of show me thing, or if they're going to offer him a little less money, but you know, maybe three, four years. So there's a lot of variables there. There's a lot of variables with a lot of guys. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, slog towards the draft and free agency. Yeah. And, and again, one of those times where you're so thankful that we have an, a front office that is not only really good at their jobs, but they do their job in a really interesting way. They, they execute trades. They're, they're very meticulous about drafting and their scouting process. And so it's really fun to follow leading up to the draft you know what they're going to do. Like I said earlier, they have 10 picks. That's crazy talk. Yeah. That's a whole lot of opportunity to build your team, move around, things like that. And so hopefully if this draft is just a, a decent one, if this draft is even close to, I, I felt like that the 20, obviously it's way too early to evaluate, but I was pretty happy with the 2021 draft. And so hopefully we have another draft where it's just feels solid up and down the board. Uh, moving on to next week, we play the Los Angeles Rams. That game has been moved to a 1 p.m. game uh, because I, I, I honestly not sure why, because the Rams fans in L.A. are going to have to wake up at I don't know how early to watch that. The, that game's going to be on at 10 a.m. for them, which not necessarily my idea of a football Sunday. But this is going to be another incredibly difficult matchup for a shorthanded Ravens defense against an, a Rams offense that has been somewhat disappointing in the second half of the season, but still has the, the, the sun god himself, the master of open space, Cooper Cup. And I have no idea how we're supposed to guard him um, other than pulling the Devontae Adams double and triple you all night strategy. Yeah, I, I'm... I'd be lying if I said I was overly looking forward to the game. <laughs> Just calling a spade a spade. Uh, it's tough because if you do that against Cooper Cup, what you did to Devontae, then you're leaving Odell Beckham, you know, with probably uh, one of these Robert Jacksons on him. And I'll be honest with you, I would probably rather have Cooper Cutch, Cut, uh, Cooper Cup catch 20 balls than Odell Beckham to catch like five in a touch. You have him on your fantasy team. Is that why? No, no. I um, no. <laughs> and but I think that's just, a funny thing. Like it's a resurgent Odell that, you know, he clearly, he was not the problem in, in Cleveland. I'll, I'll let, I'll let all you yeah. quarterback experts try and figure out who the problem might be in Cleveland. But um, you know, clearly he knows how to play and they're, they're a tough team. To, I mean, obviously it's, it's McVay, right? He, he's, he's a great head coach. And their defense is loaded with stars. They have a couple holes, obviously. I don't think the, the, the they have Jalen Ramsey. I don't think the rest of their secondary is that great. And I think that is a, that's an opportunity, a big one, especially if Huntley can play. Um, you know, not that Josh Johnson can't throw the ball. I just would still would rather have Huntley in there. But I think it's, I think it's actually going to be a really interesting game for the offensive line, right? You have Aaron Donald, you have Von Miller, 
They have other guys that can make plays. Greg Gaines, I think, is incredibly underrated. I know he has the benefit of playing next to Donald, but I think he's quite underrated as an interior lineman. And um, I think it'll be an interesting game for the O-line. I'm really curious to see what can Ben Cleveland do against Aaron Donald? Not in a, you know, let's see him wreck him kind of way, but just, a, hey, you're, you're, you, you might get matched up with arguably the best player in football. I think, I think Donald is arguably the best, maybe not the most valuable, but maybe the best, the most skilled at football. And you're going to get matched up with that. Let's see how you do, Rook. And I think, you know, this, let's see what Ben, I'm, 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 I want to keep riding Ben Cleveland just to see, you know, can he be our starting guard next year? Yeah, him and uh, Bradley Bozeman as well. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's another one. He's a free agent as of the end of this season. If he goes out there and shuts Aaron Donald down, no matter what else happens, if Donald is a non-factor and it's Bozeman and Cleveland, you know, just shutting him down all day, he very well may earn himself. I mean, I think he's already earned himself a contract with the team, obviously. But yeah, I'm hoping he doesn't price himself out of Baltimore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe. Hope not. I love Bozeman. I mean, center is like, I love Bozeman. I think having a consistent center is key. And I think the Ravens should absolutely resign them. And I don't know, maybe as a fan, I overestimate, you know, I can tell when it varies player to player, but Bozeman is one of the guys who I feel like wants to stay in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. There are some guys where I can, you know, you can kind of tell, I think CJ Mosley is a a good example where, you know, they played really well in in Baltimore, but they were, they were ready to leave when they hit free agency. And I'm not sure that's Judon, same thing. Yeah. Judon, Judon wanted his bag and he wanted, a starring role in defense and he absolutely got it and hats off to him. He's been playing great, but I think Bozeman is one of those guys who, you know, is going to come is coming into negotiations with the mindset of final mindset of not, I not, I want to necessarily just get the most money I can, but I want to see if I can get the, m- the most I can from the Ravens to stay in Baltimore. Hopefully. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yep. Also, it'll be interesting this week. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they had Jalen Ramsey shadow Mark Andrews, the entire game. Honestly, I, I know yeah. it probably sounds crazy, but I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever. And that'll, that's going to be an interesting matchup to see. Uh, I mean, Ramsey's the best cornerback in the league for, for my money. And with the way Mark Andrews has been playing lately, that, that's, that's going to be fun to watch no matter what the scoreboard looks like. And I probably will not be looking at the scoreboard much. <laughs> yeah, I think, it'll, I think it'll, I still think it'll be another fun game. You know, back home is, is key for this team just in terms of how, how it feels when they play. You don't really, they got blown out by the Bengals at home, but they roared back into that game against the Packers. And mm-hmm. it felt like they, they did that because the crowd was still there and invested in the game. And I'm hoping they bring that kind of intensity again to another NFC matchup. Any uh, final thoughts before we sign off here, Ron? Uh, no, just, I guess, pretty much echoing what we've already said so far. Enjoy these next two games for what they are. Hopefully we can get Lamar Jackson back. Maybe we sneak into a playoff. Maybe we don't get him back at all. Maybe we lose the next two and we end up with a top 10 pick. But either way, you know, football is very quickly coming to a close in a year that despite so many bad things happening and feeling like it should have taken an eternity is actually gone pretty quick. You know, I feel like just yesterday we were sitting here talking about how the sky was falling because we lost to the Raiders in week one. So this thing is really breezed by. We don't have much left of it to go. You know, just enjoy the ride, I guess. Yeah, I can't echo that message any more, any any more than, than Ron can, just because it's how we felt a lot of this season. But the team's ability to come back has has gotten plenty of us back and invested in this team's chances 
you know, to make the playoffs and potentially make a run. But I think we're at a point where I'm safe saying, enjoy this, get out of it what you can. Go into it with a mindset of, you know, what I do is I try and find some players, some matchups that I'm excited and excited to watch because I know there's a good chance this game is going to be a struggle in general. And, you know, that's a recommendation I have for all the fans out there when the team is like this, because you don't want to set yourself up for disappointment too much. If you're walking in and expecting them to, you know, clean up the Rams, that's not going to happen. They could keep it close and they could win this game. It's certainly possible. Um, But coming in, expecting that this is not 2019. I'm not sure it ever will be again. No. Yeah. You said it best, my friend. All right. Well, happy holidays and we will see you in the new year. 2022. Hopefully that brings us some better luck for, for our Ravens team. Oops.